Well, hey, welcome everybody uh, to Blackhawk Church. Welcome Blackhawk family here in the room. So glad you all are here. Welcome to everyone who is joining us online right now, as well as everyone in our sites and venues. So that is, man, Blackhawk Downtown. What's up, Blackhawk Fitchburg? How's it going, Gospel Fusion? What is up, Blackhawk Traditions? To Blackhawk Chinese Ministry, we are so glad that you all are with us and joining us today. To my Chinese-speaking friends, Dijon Zimei Ping An, and uh, to all of my Spanish-speaking friends, Bienvenidos a Blackhawk. We are one church in a lot of different locations, and it's good to be able just to be together as a family this way. So we are in uh, week four of a short little four-week series that we have been doing this summer on the subject of work where we have been taking a look at what, how our, our faith life and our work life interact with one another. Everything within our faith should affect the work that we do in our lives, regardless within that work if we get a paycheck for it or not. We are all called to be workers. God has work for all of us to do, and, uh, and our relationship should, with him really should affect all aspects of it. And uh, y'all, I'm super excited for you to be able to be a part of this particular talk today. I'm super excited for you to hear from the person who is going to come up and share with us in just a minute, because this person has all kinds of work experience. I mean, literally from entry-level positions all the way up to being the president, actually, of a very large company. But on top of that, this person actually preaches and teaches around Blackhawk Church actually more than any of us who you know who are on the teaching team. And yet the reality is the majority of you probably have never heard this person teach. If I got you just a little bit intrigued on who it is that you're gonna be hearing from today. So I'd love for you at really all sites, all venues, everyone here in the room to join me right now in welcoming to the stage Mr. Charles Huang, our pastor of Blackhawk Chinese Ministry. Good to see you. Charles, thanks so much for, uh, for being here. You know, and I love being able, I honestly, I love being able to tell people uh, this perspective that you teach around here more than anybody else. I mean, you preach way more often than me or Charles, you or Chris or any of us because pretty much every week uh, here at Braider Way across the hall from this room right here in our Blackhawk Chinese ministry, you're, you're on, you're preaching and you're preaching in Mandarin. And uh, so pretty much every week, but it is so good to be able to be here in this room and get a chance to hear from you. So the reality is, I think that for a lot of us, people haven't heard you teach before and most likely they don't even know much of your story. So can you just take a minute just to give people just a brief snapshot of you and your family? Sure, yeah. Hi everybody, so my name is Charles Huang and um, my wife Anita and I, we're both originally from Taiwan, and we have two kids. Uh, Caitlin is going to be a senior in high school, and Kaysen is going to be a junior in high school. So that's a, we have a picture of them. Wow. Is that, that's your Christmas card right there, isn't it? So, <laughs> Charles, you are looking in rare form there, buddy. Right. So I think maybe you should dress that way around here a little more often. Maybe. <laughs> that's the only picture I got permission from the kids to use. <laughs> I'm kind of stuck with it. That's yeah. good. That's yeah. good. So, okay, um, with, with your story and, and everything it is about you, another thing that people don't know a lot about uh, here at all really is Blackhawk Chinese ministry. Right. We know that we have a Chinese ministry, but don't know much about 
what goes on with it. Can you fill people in just a little bit? Sure. So uh, BCM, which is Blackhawk Chinese Ministry, we started in 2015, and it was led by Pastor Charles Yu. So I, we call him o- OC. Okay, hang on. Okay, let's let's explain that to everybody. So, so when when you are a part of a church that has a particular ministry, like our Chinese ministry, and we have had two pastors who have overseen that, both who have the name Charles and are still on staff, it gets a little confusing. So Charles Huang and Charles Yu came up with this idea to differentiate between the two of them, where one would be NC and the other would be OC. So Charles Huang became NC, known as New Charles. Which meant that Charles Yu was OC, meaning old Charles. Exactly. So this week, we get to hear from NC. Next week, you get to hear from OC. So there you go. A little inside lingo there for Blackhawk staff. Yeah, so OC started it in 2015, and then I came on board in 2017. And uh, now we have about 70 people and about eight life groups and it's really like a small church feel, and it's really good. I, I'm, I, something I really appreciate and I'm uh, super grateful for is that we have a really high percentage of people actively serving in some sort of capacity. And uh, we also have a visiting scholars ministry. We mm-hmm. also have college students ministry. That's all in Upper House, which is you know, where um, Blackhawk Black downtown, downtown. downtown meets. And the really cool thing that I like to mention is we're not just Chinese people. We have Americans. We have Brazilians, we have Koreans, so I thought that was really cool. And one thing um, that throughout COVID, I think our people really bonded, so I'm super grateful for that. And so our life groups really, really flourished. And one last cool thing is that um, uh, throughout COVID and even now, we have people from multiple regions in the world watching our Blackhawk Mandarin services online. That's so amazing. You know, I mean, one thing that we've talked about around here the amount of people from other areas of the world who are, who are joining us for these services right now, and yet our Mandarin services, which are also online, people from all around the world. That's just incredible seeing the way that God works. So, okay, Charles, part of your story, you are from Taiwan, and, uh, and here in the United States, in pre- predominantly at Blackhawk Church, everyone knows you as a pastor. So, but the community there in Taiwan, you're you know, your home, people don't know you this way. So can you fill everyone in a little bit more on your story? Sure. So I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, so, and then in high school, my parents, they became majority, majority shareholders of this fast food chain. So I worked there uh, as a summer job during my high school days. And then, uh, so I worked, started in kitchen work with uh, washing lettuce, cutting tomatoes, flipping burgers, scrubbing <laughs> toilets, all sorts of things like that. And then I went off to college in Japan and then later to grad school here in the United States. And then I uh, became a software programmer and uh, IT technical consultant. So I was in the IT industry for five years, um, uh, first for an American company that was based in San Francisco Bay Area and then for a German company. Okay, all right. So I want to pause you there for just a minute because you, you moved quickly past this whole fast food restaurant thing, which actually is a big part of, of your story. Uh, so how many of you, all sites and venues, have heard of the fast food restaurant Moss Burger? Capital M, capital O, capital S, Burger. Yeah, not a single hand in this room, and I'm guessing that's true for other sites and venues. This is a fast food uh, restaurant that started in Japan. And, uh, but the interesting thing was your parents then brought that fast food restaurant from Japan to Taiwan. 
and it kind of became a big deal. In fact, to this date now, there are over 1,700 Mossberger locations. You can see a picture right now. Mossberger locations in Japan, in Taiwan, as well as other parts of East Asia. Now, just to give context of that, that's double the amount of Culver's that we have here, so in the United States. Double the amount. In fact, it's the second, tell me if I have this right, the second largest fast food chain in Japan and Taiwan behind McDonald's. Right. So that's just unbelievable. Okay, and, and where did the name Mossburger come from? I know that sounds weird, but it's M-O-S. <laughs> it's abbreviation for mountain, ocean, and sun. So it's founded by three nature-loving people. That's why. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, and here's the thing that you all need to know, because um, when you get to know Charles, when you get to know NC, you realize he's an incredibly humble guy. And so he's going to leave out details of his story that, that make him look impressive. Like, like the fact that you said you went to grad school. When you graduated from grad school at Stanford, you know, after that, you went into the IT world for five years, but then you went back to Mossberger, kind of starting in the kitchen. In fact, I think we have a picture of you. So there in the middle, working at Mossberger back in those days, but then you quickly started to change positions. You went to like menu development and then into marketing and then into HR operations and then eventually chief operations, like chief operations officer. Like you became the president of Mossburger, the president of the second largest fast food chain behind McDonald's in all of Taiwan. So needless to say, you have a lot of, of corporate business experience <laughs> And you got to deal with, I'm sure, the complexities of working in a family business that way. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, being in family business or semi-family business has its pros. You know, you get appointed leadership roles uh, much quicker. Um, but at the same time, you know, the first two years, it was pretty difficult for me because I had to prove myself to everyone. Yeah. And, you know, there's just people out there who are just waiting and watching you to fail. And even if you do a good job, um, they take it for granted because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to take over, right? And, and then on top of that, then we have the family dynamics. So uh, especially in you know, family business, in, in family succession, that can really complicate things. And so for those of you out there who are in family business, uh, my heart really goes out to you. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Okay, so uh, Charles, let me dive into some of this because I think there's a burning question that some people, some of us would be wondering right now. So you're in this position of being the president of Mossberger, a position with lots of prestige. I, I know a, a high-paying salary, and you step out of that position to go into full-time ministry. And... I think that for a lot of us, we, I mean, here's the thing to note. Charles, Charles is just a normal guy. You know, he, he lives in a normal house. He drives normal cars. You know, like, he's not pulling into the Blackhawk parking lot every day in a Lamborghini. You know, like, just a normal guy. And so I think for some of us, we'd be wondering, why do you give that position up? Uh, yeah, so like a lot of my high school friends, they said they just cannot believe it. Uh, but you know, wow, that's a good question and it's gonna be a long story, but I'll give you a very short version okay. today. Um, so as Anita and I, we were discussing and we were praying about this, um, uh, that we really felt God 
prompting us to study theology. So every time we took a step in that direction, God confirmed it. Yeah, I can, I can actually resonate with that quite well. I know that for me and for Rachel, as we were looking at full-time ministry moving that direction, it was every time we took a step, it just seemed to be God confirmed it as we went. So, um, okay, so another question that I think some people might be wondering, because you went from, from the corporate world into the ministry world, and I think that sometimes for people, they have this idea that um, a ministry position is kind of a, a higher calling, and, and what I mean by that is, a, is that God looks more favorably you know, on people who step into being a pastor, working at a church, working within a ministry. Like in some way, they're favored a little bit more. It's more of a holy position. And then everyone else who works is just sort of an average person and average position and God's fine with that. So what would you say to people who were thinking, well, if I want to make God happy, I need to step into a full-time, I need to step away from my normal job and step into a ministry job. What would you say to people who might be thinking that way? Yeah, I get that. Um, I, I used to think that, you know, so uh, I used to think that, okay, if I want to please God with my work, then I should become a pastor or a missionary or, you know, go into a full-time job in some sort of full-time ministry. Um, and then if I can't do that, one level down, is there's so, so there's kind of like this hierarchy and uh, it would be working for a nonprofit or some sort of charity. And then if, st- if I still can't do that, one more level down, there's these service professions, right? The teachers, the doctors, and nurses. But if I still can't do that, <laughs> I still have a chance. Uh, I get a normal job, but then I just um, serve really well at the church. I lead Bible studies. I do whatever I can. But, and you know, at least that will make God happy. Right. <laughs> but what I really want to tell everybody is that uh, no, it's not really about uh, what you do. You can please God doing just what you're doing. So it's all about uh, working for God. Mm, yeah, that's good. And that actually is really the direction we're gonna go for the remainder of this time, is taking a look at this idea of uh, the work that God calls us to and how to be able to do that with all our heart, really with an aspect of joy. So if you have your Bibles with you or whatever it is that you look at your Bible on, if you wanna pull that out and turn to the book of Colossians right now, we're gonna look at a passage of scripture together. Colossians chapter three is where we're going to be diving in. And if you don't have your Bible with you or something you look at it on, we're gonna have it on the screens for you. We're actually gonna begin with verse 23. Let me go ahead and read this for us. And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Yeah, so you see, I just love how that passage starts, right? Whatever you do. So it almost seems like it doesn't matter what you do. And so these instructions is for everyone. Yeah, yeah, it really is true. I mean, this, this whole perspective, like, no one is excluded from this. And I, I mean, the, the work that we're called to doesn't always bring in a paycheck, yet God calls us all to this idea of work. And Charles, this is something you've studied for some time. It's a, this whole idea of work and faith is something that is, is close to your heart. As you were in seminary, you studied marketplace theology. And with your background within the corporate world, I know this is something that's dear to your heart. So my question for this as we, we continue is, for us as Christ followers, how do we find joy within our work? What does that look like? 
Okay, so what I would like to do is to go to the next part of the Colossians passage. So uh, you should have a slide up there. So uh, God tells us to work at it with all your heart. And I think there are many different ways we can um, uh, do that. And the first thing is to find meaning and purpose in our work. So work is taking what God has given us and then making a contribution uh, with it. So we offer our work to God. And what I mean by that is we offer the results, you know, the products, the results of, of our work to God. And then we share those results with uh, people around us. So we contribute to the people around us um, or whoever comes in touch with the result of our work. So let's say if I'm a chef, right, then I, have, I get my raw materials from God. So all my food uh, sources, they're from the earth. And the food sources already have the nutrients and the energy that is needed for survival. So we thank God for that. And, um, so, and, and then I cook the food, and then I offer it to God. And then I serve it, the food to all the, all the people around me. And then they benefit from the result of my work they, because they've been fed, right? Yeah. So that's the purpose of my work. So I help people prolong their lives from the sustenance that's provided in, in the meal. So what I've done in serving a dish is that I loved God and then I loved my neighbors. I served God and then I served my, my neighbors. So the meaning of my work is no longer just um, washing, cutting, or heating up the food. It's serving God and uh, others. So we have to be able to see that meaning and purpose. We have to see how we are imaging God through our work. So for the moms and dads out there, you're cooking uh, meals for the family, you're imaging God uh, because you are giving life. So it's the whole idea of working for the common uh, good. God wants us to flourish, and we get to reflect him through our work. Mm. And we are imaging God while we are working. So we get to glorify him, and then with the product or the results of our work. Mm. Yeah, I love that picture that you were giving of finding meaning and purpose. It takes us to a deeper level of the way that we look at the things that we've been called to do and the way that we image God through the work that we do. So what's another way? that we can go about doing this, working at something with all of our heart, finding joy within the work that God's placed in front of us. Yeah, so personally, I think God wants us to foster this sense of creativity in our work. So uh, think about this. In the first verse of the entire Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Mm. God created. God is a creator, right? Yeah. He is creative, and that's part of his nature, and he's always been creative. So uh, we are created by him, by the creator, to be creative beings. We are meant to be creative beings. You know, nobody has to teach a child to be creative, right? Yeah, that's actually so true. I mean, you think about it. You, you know, when we just had some kids over at our house this past week, we pulled out a box of Legos, and that's all we had to do. We didn't have to teach them how to create or be creative. They just went to town with the things in front of them. Right, and they find joy in it, right? So we are really meant to be people who uh, create. And in most jobs, even if it's just a small degree, I think there's always a place for creation, for innovation in our work. So no matter what our profession is, our work should be interesting. Uh, there should be play, there should be innovation, and there should be fun, it should be rewarding. But unfortunately, when uh, sin entered the world, that really affected us. You know, God's integrated design of work and play was broken down. So that's why a lot of people are robbed of that uh, creativity. 
Um, so we want to try to recover some of that, you know, pleasure and fun. We want to foster this sense of creativity as much as we can. Yeah. So that's part of, part of what we do as the people of God. So going back to the example of me being a chef, right? Uh, um, so it's not just about cutting and heating the food. I can be creative. I can have my own, own little twist of that dish and make it different and make it even taste better. Yeah, so okay. So this idea of, of being creative with the work that we're called to, I don't think that always comes <laughs> naturally to us. So what are ways that we can foster that kind of mindset? How do we, how do we move that direction? Right, so we want to take ownership of our work. Uh, we want to see ourselves as artists or craftsmen. So we want to perfect our craft. We see our products and our services as art. So we make something beautiful out of it, and we see it as a form of expression. We express it to God, and we express it to other, other people. So for example, when I was um, at Mossberger, I tried to take ownership of my work in terms of um, doing uh, environmental stewardship. Mm. I tried to be creative about that. So we started to contract uh, local farmers instead of relying on import or through middlemen, and then we guaranteed them the profit, and then we got to know them, we shook their hand, we visited them, and then we would be able to establish traceability for food. So uh, I think I have a picture of that, me in the lettuce field. So this is at one of the contract farms that uh, we had back in Taiwan for our lettuce. You need to wear that hat more often as well. So, <laughs> okay, yeah. so that was you, and this was an idea that you just came up with. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but one of my better ways that I thought was more fun, where I showed more creativity, was in our menu development. And so I really challenged my team to um, really think outside of the box. I, I told them, just try to put anything into a burger. <laughs> Yeah, because I really, and just try it, you know. Anything. Just anything, any kind of dish, okay? So I want, because I really wanted our customers to be able to try the different cuisines from all over the world, but at a very reasonable cost. So um, we came up with all sorts of ideas, my team. So we had some uh, unusual burgers and sandwiches, so I have some of them up here. So we have like a French uh, duck burger, a tandoori chicken burger, a Thai green curry burger, and then a truffle oil uh, breakfast omelet sandwich. So these are just a few, there's so many, I, I can't name them all. Okay, is anyone else just getting a little hungry right now? As this was an idea that I had that I thought would have been so fun. I would have loved to have been able to turn right now and go, hey, and, and all of our sites and venues, as you walk out into the atrium, we have an all-you-can-eat Moss Burger buffet for everyone. That would have been amazing, but uh, cost was a little high on getting everything over here. So, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> food on the brain. Okay, so that, that's amazing, the idea of you doing all of that, bringing that into your team, and that idea of fostering creativity is great. But, but, and, and, and that's more doable for some positions than others. There's some people who are supervisors, managers, higher ups within, within their work world. But there are other people who don't have that luxury quite as much. They don't have the ability to do that. Like, let's say that I am a, a factory worker on an assembly line. How do I create that type of an environment? Yeah, so you might not be a very uh, you know, high-level decision maker, but you might... I think you always have some chance to find ways to do your work better or to do it with less cost or do it more efficiently, you know. There's always some room for improvement. 
and you can keep improving either the product or the service or the procedure that uh, the process of doing that that job. So you know, like Japanese people, they are very serious about this. They have like they're on a personal or like a whole corporate mission to continue to improve every single small step in the procedure. Wow. So they look at every small detail and they try to perfect it. So every procedure in a Japanese company is completely streamlined. And I think that itself is a craft. But of course, I understand, uh, like you said, you know, in some jobs, in, there are some extreme cases mm -hmm. where there might be close to zero degree of freedom to make any changes. I, I understand that. And so that actually leads me to a third point that I would like to mention about finding joy. And that is being a faithful presence. And so in such cases, we can practice being a faithful presence and we uh, prayerfully do our work. And what I mean by that, to have a faithful presence, is that I'm not absent-minded. I'm there. I'm physically there and I'm mentally there. And although I can't change anything, I'll still put in a good day of work. Mm, yeah. You know, that actually, that reminds me of a story of a, someone who I know down in South Florida who worked as a, uh, a surfboard shaper. And he started out as he started out, the thing that he did uh, was basically just take foam planks and he would sand them down every day, same way, every single board, no creativity, nothing that he was doing. And what he told me he did was he would take a moment before every plank that he was going to sand and he would pray for the person who eventually was going to own that board just in order to bring meaning into what it was that he was doing. So I thought that was super creative as I heard of that. Wow, that's a really good example. That's really good. Um, but another aspect of faithful presence is the presence that we have for people. And, you know, what I think about, what I mean by that is um, to think about work in a broader aspect, not just to think about work as the work itself, the task that we have to do, but about all the other work-related aspects. And one huge aspect is people. Um, every team, every workplace, they need somebody who will make the team chemistry work, mm. somebody who can make the team click. And you can be that person, and you can be there for people. You can be the peacemaker where there is conflict. You can be comforting people when there's uh, in times of loss. You can encourage people when people are down. You can be that person who makes people, every, make every single person feel valued and cared for. So uh, you can be that person. And I call that being a marketplace pastor. Mm. So faithful presence is representing God, uh, as in like God's presence through you in your workplace. And so remember, we are imaging God through our work. And um, so it's in the whole team dynamics. It's in all of our interpersonal relationships. So every office, every factory, every lab, every restaurant, every school, whatever institution needs a marketplace uh, pastor. Just like schools and the army and hospitals, they all have a chaplain, right? So God wants you to be that person to be there and care for people in the workplace. And you don't need a theological degree to do that, right? Um, sometimes it's just being there for people um, listening and walking alongside with them. Yeah, that's so true. Sometimes I think that people, you could talk about being a marketplace pastor and the picture that people uh, would get in their heads is I have to carry my Bible everywhere with me. I need to, as I pass people, I need to stop, lay my hand on them, pray out loud for them in the moment. That's not what you're talking about at all. No, no, that, that's right. So um, absolutely not. But 
what, I'm, what I mean is, uh, you know, uh, for just for example, for myself, I think through all my previous jobs, um, I think, you know, sometimes people just come to me with their personal circumstances. They come with their family tensions, they suffer the loss of a loved one, or wh whatever pain or suffering they, they're going through. And I learned that one of the best things that I could do for them is just listen and then just be there for them. So no matter what level you're at, you can be an entry-level person, you can be a senior executive, but you have the opportunity to practice that faithful presence and to just um, care for people. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so to summarize where we've been so far. So at whatever we do, work at it with all our heart by finding purpose and meaning within what we do by fostering creativity and by being a, a faithful presence. There's really good, really practical steps. Okay, but in reality, how do we stay motivated to do that? What are the steps that we take in order to have that be a part of our everyday lives? Sure, so I think we really need to ask ourselves this very important question is, who am I doing this for? I remember three weeks ago, Pastor Chris, in the first sermon of the series, he mentioned that uh, something that happened during the fall, the fall of mankind, right? So we turned our focus from being God-oriented and other-oriented to self-oriented. Sure. And that's something that we should really ask ourselves is the question that are we working to gratify ourselves and to elevate ourselves, or are we working to benefit others, and also to glorify and please God. So the next part of the Colossians um, passage says this, right? As working for the Lord. It says to do our work as we're working for the Lord. So last week, um, Pastor um, Matt Rustin, our guest speaker, came, and he talked about being a priest. You know, in the Old Testament, the priests, they consecrated themselves for their priestly duties. Uh, they knew that everything that they did in the temple or the tabernacle was for God. Their meaning and purpose was crystal clear. Everything was for God. Every item in the tabernacle or the temple was consecrated. And the work that they did was consecrated. And they consecrated their own bodies. They did like ritual, uh, ritual cleansing mm. and before they entered the tabernacle or the temple. Yeah, let me uh, pause there for just a minute. We're throwing around a really churchy word, consecrated. Consecrated is just simply a word meaning set apart. So sacred. Uh, you get this picture of, let's say that you have fine china that's been handed down from generation to generation in your family. That's something that's special. It's sacred. It's set apart. You're not gonna have your, your dog eating out of one of those bowls or use it to like catch the oil as you're changing the oil in your car. No, it's set apart and special and sacred. Yeah, so that's what it means, you know. It just means that the priests, they knew exactly what they're doing. They were doing it for God. That was very clear. And I know like terms like, uh, sorry, priesthood, consecration, those are very Old Testament, churchy terms. But the idea uh, is actually much simpler than it sounds, okay? So it's doing what we do out of love. It's doing our jobs with the love for God. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so do you have an example of this? Um, sure. So a personal example. Um, I like art. I appreciate art. I like looking at good art from uh, great artists like Van Gogh like Pastor Chris does, and, but can I show you one of my favorite art pieces? Sure. It's, I have it up here today. So, <laughs> this was by my son, Kaysen, when he was eight years old, and 
I have lots of artwork like this. I have a whole collection of these, you know. Um, this is one of my favorites, but I have another one of my favorites as one that he drew when he was four years old, really much like this. He drew a really big mansion, and he brought it to me, and he said, look, daddy, you know. And he was so excited to share with me that, that new drawing, and he showed me, and he pointed, this is daddy and mommy's room, you know. So my heart was so warm, you know. He gave me the best room in, 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 in his house, <laughs> and he drew it for me to make me so happy, and he happily shared his, his work with me. So I was really, really pleased. And so, you know, I keep these things. I keep all of these. I have lots of uh, pieces like this, all kept in this metal cookie box. Uh, I store all the cards, all the notes, all the letters from my kids. Um, that box is stored in a really safe place in Taiwan with my in-laws right now. And, you know, <laughs> I'm going to keep that box for the rest of my life. I yeah. cherish that. So now, let me ask you, does that piece of art have a lot of aesthetic value? Does it have a lot of monetary value? Probably not. But it has tremendous emotional value mm. to me. Right? Yes. Because my little child drew it for me. And he did it with all his heart. He wanted to please me. Um, he, he did it especially to me. And it not only pleased me and warmed my heart, it mean, this means so much to me. Uh, it's really hard to measure the, the sentimental value in it. So I know for you, a lot of you uh, parents out there, you probably have lots of uh, similar artwork on your fridge too, right? Yeah. So people, I really want you to know that that's how God feels when we do our work for him. Um, he is so pleased. And priesthood for us doesn't have to be very complicated at all. Uh, before studying marketplace theology, I used to think priesthood, oh, okay, I just imagine these uh, ancient Israelite people with big beards and then they're in the temple, they're preparing our, uh, sacrifices and offerings or if I think modern day, I think Catholic priests doing a lot of religious ceremonies and rituals and stuff like that. But now, I understand, even Kaysen at age four, he was being a little priest to me. Mm. Yeah. And Eden and I, we gave him the raw materials, right? The color pencils, the paper. And he did some work with it. He created something good out of it. He did something beautiful in my eyes. He did it to make me happy. So that was his offering to me. That was what our priesthood to God means too, you know? So when we do our work out of love for God, for him, we can touch his heart. The Father's heart is very, very tender. I want everybody to know that. Uh, so I really want you to know that if you work for him with all your heart and you share your work with him uh, and, you, and you want to let him know that you did it for him, he is really pleased. He is very proud of you and he cherishes it and he... Good. enjoys it, and he has a place for it, and he has a place for that too. So I really want you to know that your work can have eternal value. Mm -hmm. I love that picture that you give us of the work that we do being something that God hangs on his fridge. So there's something awesome about that. Well, can we take a moment right now just to thank Charles, uh, all sites and venues, just for being able to be here and share with us. This is so good, so good. And in, in just a moment, um, at all sites and all venues, we're gonna send you back to those places to do something kind of special that we're actually gonna do here in this room. If you're with us online, you're gonna be a part of everything it is that we're doing. But before we transition to that, I'd love to take a minute to pray. And, uh, and I have asked Charles if he would pray as well. So I will pray in English and Charles will pray in Mandarin. So would you pray with me right now? Lord God, we thank you so much for your love for us. 
Thank you for this chance to be together as your church. Thank you for this series that we have been in over these weeks. Where we can take a look at your perspective on work. Lord, you are a God who works. And you've created us in your image to be workers as well. Would you help us, Father, to be people who find your meaning in our work? We pray that you will be the one to guide us as your people to reflect you. In all of the work that you have given us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.